0: I'm Becky and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hi and welcome back to episode two of the new season. So I'm not going to talk for long today because we've got quite a long episode today but I just wanted to say a few words because I'm really aware that as mothers one of the things that we can feel we lose as a parent is a bit of a sense of our identity especially in those early days of parenthood. I know I've been really guilty when asked what I do now that as a stay-at-home mum I'll, I'll say I'm just just a mum and it's only in that last year that a couple of people have really taken me to task about that description of myself because of course I'm not just a mum. There's so many parts to me that Um, build up my identity and this podcast of course it's, it's all about motherhood and motherhood can take up a big part of our identity but we're also individuals created uniquely by God for whom he has a purpose and vision and I wanted to create space to think about our identity our purpose again and whatever wherever we are as mothers so we can so we can step into that identity again and flourish and thrive in motherhood, not just survive it. So yeah, we've got um, four guests over the season who will be covering topics around this theme, often with quite different perspectives or um, roles within that, but essentially all uh, skirting around this theme of how motherhood can impact our sense of self. But more importantly, in many ways, how we can use that to grow in our faith and maturity as Christians. And um, the first guest we've got for that today is fantastic. She works in leadership development and has given us an absolute banquet of advice and tools and insight into how we can apply some of those leadership tools. Because at the end of the day, we're leaders in our own in our own homes, and um, but how we can apply that. Um, As mothers, as women, as people in the body of Christ. So I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Let's crack on.
1: Hi, Laura. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm really well today. And
0: yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Just, I'm actually enjoying this slightly cooler weather. We're sort of recording this mid. June, end of June, after all the heatwave and um, I'm definitely more of a spring, autumn weather girl.
1: <laughs> I know what you mean. I think it's nice to know that there is some more sunny weather on the horizon. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree with you. It's nice just to take a breath, especially get some work done because it's so hard, isn't it, when the sun's out?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're a dog owner as well. So my <laughs> poor dog's I'm looking morose all the time at the moment if it's too hot. Anyway, Um, so Laura is a um, leadership coach she's worked as a teacher speaker coach and author and she has two children and she's going to come speak to us today about her um, just share her wisdom and experience and um, about her business salmon swimming so um, Laura I I mean I've introduced you a bit there but do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I am a mum, so a mum of two boys at the moment who are nearly 11 and nearly nine, which is a really nice age. Uh, Lots of sport going on at the moment in our garden. Um, And we just love taking adventures together. We've got um, a camping trip and some surfing, co-steering coming up in the summer. So as a family, we're really excited about a slightly different pace coming up now over the summer holidays um, because usually they are very much invested at school with activity, lots of activities and things. My husband is a teacher of business and economics so they're all at school in the daytime and I run the business mainly from home and on the road. Amazing
0: and does, does your husband work in your business with you,
1: is that is that right as well? Yes, so he's a co-founder, he's actually the visionary for the whole thing And he does some bits and pieces of coaching, but mainly in term time, the the school where he teaches has his full focus. And the lovely thing is within his school context, which is a secondary age school, he coaches as well. He does leadership coaching with teachers and pupils um, within the school day, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Brilliant. So um, what has been your experience
0: of motherhood then, Laura?
1: So I was a head of department in a school. And when I got pregnant with Gilbert, um, some time ago, um, there wasn't an option for me to continue full-time. They wanted a full-time head of department. So, um, I could choose to drop down and have part-time option, um, which wasn't in teaching it just wasn't going to be simple it wasn't going to be offered two or three days um it could be spread out all over the week and we just felt you know um that wasn't the best the best option for our family so i i quit completely i really did feel as though god said laura um quit your job and work for me that was the phrase that um i sort of had after through prayer and talking to to good friends and and so I did. And that felt like quite a big jump because I loved my job. It wasn't me going, oh, phew, I get break and I get to change career. It was actually quite a big sacrifice, obviously, glad to do it because it was for a good reason, good cause.
0: Yeah. And did you find that, um, so after after making such a big decision, did you, did you struggle with that in the first year or, or you know, those early years? Because they're quite difficult anyway, often the early years, aren't they? But did it feel like a sacrifice in those early years too? Mm.
1: I think that first year, probably not so much. I'd been quite intensively um, involved in teaching and leading and running all sorts of extra things around the school as a you know single person and then newly married. Um, so it was nice to have a break at first. I think it was probably a little bit further on, and I don't know whether other mums have this experience too, you know, when you're two, three, four, five years into. Um, having made that break that you start to sort of miss certain things yeah Um, at first at first it was things like being served coffee at 11 30 every day um, or (laughs) what we had for school lunch so we always used to have fish and chips on a Friday and so I'd get literally just cravings for fish and chips on a Friday and there was no one there making me anything Yeah, (laughs) I love that as a teacher as well because I used to teach years ago
0: and yeah, fish and chip Fridays. And now my
1: boys will come down to so jealous. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It was those things at first. But then yeah, as as it went on, it was feeling like the professional skills, um, the output, you know, being part of something that um was was bigger than just within our home that felt really important. And I and I did miss that.
0: Yeah. And I hope you don't mind me asking this. I can edit it out if you do. But um, <laughs> Like, what was that different dynamic like as, as a marriage? Because I think a lot of women find it very difficult, especially if they've been professionals and the husband's carrying out, you know, still going on to work. It's quite, a, I, I know I sometimes felt quite resentful that he got to go have his hot cup of tea and his commute to yeah. work, yeah. which he'd be <laughs> like, oh no, it's an awful commute into London. I'd be like, it's half an hour of peace and quiet like and know just sat on a train reading a book like it sounds bliss um, and yeah. how did you find
1: that yeah first of all you can ask me anything so at don't worry about that um secondly in response to that definitely I definitely felt resentful um at times especially if um he'd come James would come through the door and I'd off I'd just automatically offer him a cup of tea and he's oh yeah thanks and sit down and I'm doing stuff um and that was on me, you know, that was me offering and him actually just saying, yes, thanks. So um, I kind of had to explain to him sometimes it'd be sometimes nice for him to make me a cup of tea. <laughs> and it did take him a little bit more of a while to adjust um, to to being a, a parent, I think, than me, because I'd had that nine months run in really physically. So I think that is something to bear in mind at the very beginning. Um, yeah, I think it was we both lamented the fact that it was so different that we had these two polarized roles and it wasn't what either of us had wanted. It was the nature of the beast, really, um, you know, at, at the time. And this was so this was nearly like 12, 11, 11 years ago. And um, there wasn't as much publicity about flexible options. I think the brilliant thing about the pandemic is that that's increased, that's accelerated that discussion, which I, I welcome because actually it worked both ways Like James would have really liked to have had one or two days at home running, you know, doing, doing the home things with the kids in their early years. And he has since kind of expressed grief that he, he was working six days a week, you know, um, for, for a lot of the time, admittedly with holidays, um, but I think we both would have liked that, and and so that's a welcome change. And now I think I would have pushed back at being at not being allowed to continue. Um, but at the time, and I think you know it, it, we've been blessed by it because God brings good out of all things, doesn't He? Even when yeah. perhaps the, the the societal expectations um, have are being redeemed. Let's say absolutely,
0: absolutely. <laughs> um. So. Did you feel you lost your identity in motherhood and and if so how would you in your role as a leadership coach or, or or someone who works in these areas sort of tell mothers how they can rediscover their identity
1: so good i think i think the answer is yes and no i think i didn't lose my identity because actually motherhood gave me an opportunity to connect even more with my church community than i had been So um, I had a regular group I went to on a Thursday morning at my church, um, which had brilliant, relevant biblical content, kept me rooted in who I am in God, um, people I could process with. Um, So in lots of ways, my identity just grew and strengthened in the right things. But I think I lost some other things. I think I, I lost some energy because what energizes me is taking ground is working collaboratively on a project and delivering it is is hitting a goal um and and i'm i'm not um in the majority there of women in that that's what i've come to realize in my leadership work so i lost i lost some of that i lost a little bit of confidence as well in talking to people about work Um, it's always been something i've enjoyed is, is having work type conversations or, you know, more intellectual conversations, talking about a concept, moving something forward, debating politics or, um, you know, ideas. And, and I lost a bit of confidence in that um, because yeah. I think I was spending so much time talking about the present issues of motherhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can very much relate to that, and I think you, you can almost just play down yourself a bit sometimes, can't you? And start talking about yourself as "I'm just a mum, I'm just a mum." Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and and I think there's there's physical things that affect that as well, isn't it? Like the whole thing of baby brain. Like I literally sometimes couldn't think of words. You know, it's sort of foggy and sleep exhaustion as well, or sleep deprivation as well. All those things impact on. Um, your confidence and um ability to some
1: degree
0: and mm-hmm. um, so when when did you return to work?
1: well I I kind of returned to work gradually really initially I did some writing I was offered the opportunity to do some writing and I could fit that in around um by then my, you know they my eldest had a bit of nursery time and my youngest was coming into that as well and um I was able to find time in the evenings to get some work done. So I I did some writing and then um, I started to work with a friend who was a coach, a performance coach. So going into schools mainly um, and teaching interview skills, revision skills and being coached by him. He was theatrically trained. So he started to help me um, in terms of presentation skills and speaking. Um, And that was really cool. And again, I could fit that in. I could block that in with getting some childcare from family who live nearby or or using the nursery time so i tried to just do it in a, in a really kind of um yeah creative way because i didn't have the option like my, my husband was completely in is still not flexible because of teaching so i was able to to find ways to do it and it grew slowly but surely and it
0: grew into salmon swimming which is your life coaching not life coaching leadership coaching um, business so so why leadership coaching and why
1: why salmon swimming brilliant well 10 years ago my husband was thinking of leaving teaching and a really good friend of ours said before you leave teaching James go and see my friend who is a leadership coach and so James went off to stay for 24 hours and to work with not only this coach but his trainees as well he's called Steve Cochran and he is the co-leader of giant worldwide. And this is the early days of Giant. James spent this amazing time doing deep dive on his personality. And he came away. And what he realized was that he was trying to teach with someone else's voice, that he was literally a square peg in a round hole, because in teaching, there aren't many people who have his personality makeup that actually enjoy the way that teaching is set up in our country. So he realized that actually he could leave. Or he could start teaching and leading at school with his own voice. And that's what he chose. And literally the success and and the effectiveness of his teaching has just grown and grown and grown to the point where he now has this trust at school where he can not only deliver really good business and economics lessons, but he also coaches as well. So he's trust- really trusted in that space. And that has been amazing as a testimony for me that I've seen every day. So he started right from 10 years ago saying, Laura, you have to do this. This is so good. This is so helpful. Now, he's an early adopter. He's a real future thinker. He always sees things ahead of me. So uh, at first I was like, "Okay, well, we'll see. Read some bits and pieces, listened to some podcasts. And then eventually he finally persuaded me. And it was partly because I just saw such change. like How often do we really see people change? How often do we see people grow, become intentional and actually start to thrive in a place where, which they had previously struggled. I saw it was so effective that I eventually decided to do my training just over four years ago, right before COVID. And I was blown away. And I describe it as the best discipleship course I've ever done. So really coming out of it going, oh, my word, I feel known, I feel excited about what I have to offer, not this sort of generic mulch of I just need to be a good person and be kind, but actually, specifically, what do I bring? And that is so empowering. And so we started Salmon Swimming because we just felt together. James had already got there years ago, but I joined him in feeling really passionate that we could offer that to others as well.
0: What a testimony. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that idea that by stepping into his round hole (laughs) rather than, you know, being forced into what was expected of him or what everyone else did it just empowers people. And I think that's a real lesson for our faith as well, isn't it? And how we fit into the church and the body of Christ, which I think we're going to talk about later too. So um I love your three values at Salmon Swimming, flourishing, intentionality and teamwork. And um, what does flourishing and intentionality look like in motherhood, particularly in the context of being a Christian too?
1: Yeah, brilliant. Well, let's take flourishing first. I think it's the idea in general, and then I'll apply it to parenting, that we don't just survive, clench our teeth and get through it, but that we actually thrive. We can actually have the power, we can become empowered to make it work for us. Um, And by that, I don't mean in a selfish way. I mean, the more energized we are, the more we have to give, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So it's that sense of saying, do you know what? I'm not just going to react or firefight in motherhood. I'm actually going to work out my wiring so that I can be the best, the best mother I can be. I can't be like my friend Mads or my friend Jane, they are different people. They're going to do this in a different way. So even though it's really helpful to have mentors and people we look up to and, and get good ideas from people, I'm always on the lookout for good tips and things. It's also just really important to be me in it. And that's what I saw in James. And I, I applied that definitely to my motherhood. And he applied that for me as well. I remember him saying, Laura, you know, you need to take ground, you know, you're, you're here in the present so much with the kids doing small things, making small changes and, and and actually being really focused on them. And that's really good. And that's where I exactly where I wanted to be, but I don't find that as, as accessible as being in the big picture and seeing things move forward. So it's, it's about finding ways within motherhood to do the things that energize you rather than just thinking, okay, it's just about getting through. So I think that covers the intentionality piece as well. If we know ourselves, if we can become self-aware about what drives me, about what energizes me and what drains me as well, if I can be honest enough to say, do you know what? Some of the present related aspects of motherhood are draining Some of the repetitive aspects of motherhood are really draining as well. I can then say, okay, what am I going to do about that? Well, I'm going to be intentional. If I know there is something that's particularly intentional, um, it's particularly draining, or I'm I'm in a draining season of motherhood, I need to put in my diary some things that are going to counter that, some things from which I can draw. So for example, a friend of mine decided she was going to get up early and go swimming twice a week before her husband even left the house because she knew that would provide the energy she needed for you know the the, the rest of the day that that there were there were going to be some draining aspects so think about your scheduling think about where you put it in your diary um and don't just go along with the crowd and just go to all the baby groups or have countless you know sort of mornings where you're just at home and you're actually, and everyone's tearing their hair out, actually think what works for me and release yourself to go with that. Do
0: you think that's harder with today with being bombarded with so much information about parenting to find your own way? Like our mums, you maybe got a baby book or one parenting book and that was it, wasn't it? And it was just that and your, your experience of parenthood as a child whereas for us like literally my Instagram feed is just full of parenting feeds and some some of that I found really helpful almost to find my own way but do you think it's harder
1: well I think it's both isn't it there's there's both a bombardment there that can be confuddling but there's also an opportunity there to to have a choice so I think if you've only got that all coming in and you've got no self-awareness then you don't know which pieces are going to be helpful for you. But if you've already got some self-awareness that you've built and you've built up, then it will be easier for you to be able to say, oh yeah, I hear what that parent is saying, but I don't think that they are necessarily wired similarly to me, but that one is. So I'm going to listen even more intently to that one because that's actually going to be helpful for me. So I think this is where it's helpful in the church as well, is there's no one way to be a good Christian parent there's there's different roles to play there's different there's different ways of being a good parent and and yeah. we, no one's perfect we just have to do our bit absolutely
0: <laughs> sorry excuse me I'm just recovering from a bit of a cough at the moment um so you deal with leaders and in essence mothers are leaders in their own homes so and we've covered it a little bit but can can we apply coaching principles of leadership to our
1: homes or is parenting just a whole other ball game Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, we have a mantra in Giant, which is everyone is a leader. All people are leaders. Why? Because everybody leads at least themselves. And then parents are leading some of the most important people in the world, their own children. So they're leaders on a number of scores. And lots of parents are leading in other regards as well. Maybe they're a neighborhood leader, a community leader. Maybe they're a leader at work as well in a part-time or full-time basis so we start with self leadership that's where it starts and that is the core you know if we can really lead ourselves well then we can lead in all the other spheres of in, of influence as well so absolutely i think it is highly relevant and also because of the transferable skills as well so you know there's a lot at the moment about leadership about character in in business in the work business world and there's a lot of money that is being spent on putting people on courses to develop empathy, relational trust, collaboration. Well, I, I can't think of a more practical course to do than to be a parent, either yeah. you know, full-time <laughs> or part-time for a while. I mean, we're all full-time parents, to get me wrong. But I mean, even if you've got another role as well, you're still being intentional in parenting and you're developing all of those skills so that when perhaps down the line, this doesn't you know, happen necessarily for everyone. Some people remain running the home and I have full respect for that. But if you do then go and work again in a, in a corporation or the community voluntary aspect or whatever it is, you've got even more to offer because you have been intentional in your parenting and you've picked up hugely transferable skills. I'm really excited about, about that opportunity.
0: That's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah i hope i can put that on my cv when I get
1: that <laughs> why not and i think there is an appetite more and more to recognize that there are things that we do outside of of just work leadership type um you know, ceus and and sort of actually doing courses that contribute to our learning there's other things as well and, and that's the development of character that i think more and more employers are focusing on
0: yeah absolutely and i think I, I certainly have found parenthood as a way of creating a lot of well, it sort of brought brings a lot of junk to the to the surface, um and it does make you more self aware and you realize the things that you you do struggle with and that you do have to see things from a different perspective. And I almost want to get every mother either a leadership coach or a, a therapist just to just to deal with some of that stuff and and to process it um because children children do do that too
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah um,
0: and so on important. on self-awareness um so do you find people generally aren't very self-aware and um what's a, a good starting point for, for becoming more self-aware
1: really good well I think in the church we are we are aware that we are created by God um yeah and we're very good but that we've fallen from that grace and we're, you know, we, we have all sinned. Um, And I think that that is a very general start or foundation for self-awareness is that combination of in me, you know, there is good stuff and there's sin at war, you know, there's that, there's that battle. Now that's very general. And really once that's there, we're at the mercy of the church, the Christian community we're involved in to help us, understand what that sin is and what those good things are and most churches i would suggest have particular (laughs) slants or particular themes on what it means to be sinful and i think that that's that's just a little bit precarious because if we're constantly thinking about the kinds of sins that aren't our own particular journey then we might be thinking i'm doing all right here you know i'm I'm, (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being nice to people and I'm being kind to my neighbors and I'm ticking those boxes. I'm doing my prayer every day. Am I reading my Bible and everything? But actually what we might be missing are some of those other sins that are hidden, but no, that, that are actually sent personal to me, the things that I struggle with. So I think that it's really, really helpful to be thinking, okay, what are my tendencies? And sometimes that sin is something as simple as putting myself down every day. Sometimes that sin is giving myself a hard time, holding myself to a perfect standard. That can be part of that fallen nature that God doesn't want us to live under. If we can recognize that is our tendency, that our tendency is to give ourselves a hard time every single day and to question our worth every single day. And if we can say, see that that's sin, that's not God's intention then we are able then, we can be empowered to put in an intervention that that helps us. That might be a friendship accountability group where we have friends who will regularly say to us, right, what's going on in your head? You know, I have a friend who calls her dominating influence in her head Ingrid. Right, what's Ingrid saying in your head today? You know, what, what's she giving you a hard time for? What are you going to do about that? So having that process of accountability... It might be having artwork, it might be having Bible verses or sentences around your house that you literally see every single day that are triggers and landmarks to remind you, actually, no, get back out of there. That's the dark place. I'm not going there. I'm actually going here. We have on the back of our Lou door, a quote from John Steinbeck that says, and now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. And all four of my our family, we have those perfectionist tendencies. And when I uh, speak to Laurie at night, sometimes, and he has this, I say to him, um, Laurie says, Oh, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. I got this wrong, or I didn't get 10 out of 10 in my spellings. And I say, Laurie, how did God make you? I got this from Danielle Strickland, so I need to just acknowledge that. And he says, He made me good. I said, No, what did He make you? He made me very good. That's right. He made people very good. He didn't make us what? didn't make us perfect. That's right. And I can see physically his little shoulders drop. He relaxes in that moment. And it's not just him that needs it. I need it. That's why it's on the back of the loo door still today. And I read it regularly. So it's, it's thinking, what is it for me? And also perhaps as a mum or a dad thinking, what is it for my kid? What do I notice is going on in their head? What are they giving themselves a hard time about? Or where is their particular uh, tendency, you know, to sin? What is it? How can I support them in in, in leading them out of that intentionally?
0: Yeah, I'm totally going to steal that quote, by the way, because me and my eldest son are complete perfectionists. Mm. And I can already see that, this, that internal war with him. And then my youngest is a complete people pleaser, which again, he takes after to be on. So <laughs> I'm going to i'm gonna be more intentional about that for both them and myself so
1: can i ask you a question though becky yeah it's lovely that you've just pointed out two of your core traits that your kids Mm -hmm. have picked up what what have your kids picked up of your good traits
0: (laughs) uh drive brilliant would be one particularly for my eldest um whilst because all these things sometimes have another side don't they so like the perfectionism is also that that sort of drive sometimes Mm -hmm. the um the people pleasing is that you care about other people so my youngest is quite empathetic and quite nurturing and um yeah so um yeah I can see those things in them they're both complete chatterboxes as well which (laughs) i think makes life easier for other people sometimes if you're the chatter chattery one yeah then it takes the pressure for the people so i see it as a good thing i know some people would say it's not but
1: absolutely i think that sounds great good for you and i love what i love that you just did there was you flipped you flipped it on its head you flip and that's what the enemy does not want us christians yeah. to do is to go do you know what i'm feeling really bad about this but what does that say about me okay what's the good side of this you know what yeah. are my good intentions that have got mixed up with some stuff here and I think that's really powerful
0: oh thank you that's um it's nice it's nice that you challenged me there I appreciate that <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't help it I'm afraid as a coach
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so you list your third value is teamwork and um on um salmon swimming and you talk about the five voices personality system what is the five voices personality system
1: oh, I was hoping you'd ask that <laughs> I'm so passionate <laughs> about it. It's, it comes from Giant Worldwide again. It's one of their tools. And it has been absolutely, hugely empowering for both myself and my husband, James, and for a whole load of, of people that we know. So it starts with the idea that actually we aren't all seeing the world through the same lens. Now, we know that from 1 Corinthians 12, don't we? When you think about the body of Christ has these different parts of the body. And I think it is something that I'd like to see more of an emphasis on in Christian teaching. So that means that our Christian walk is not going to look the same and that we're not all going to be saying exactly the same things. But that the body analogy is giving us that invitation to operate not as an individual, but as a whole collective, as a person that together can really reflect God's love in the world. And that's really exciting. So the five voices is really a a simple, but not not overly simplistic model that helps us to say, okay, at the very least, there are five perspectives on seeing the world. And they have different volume levels as well. So, I'm just going to run through them very briefly, if that's helpful. So, right, the, the one with the kind of least volume, now, this doesn't mean they're the least chatty. This means they're the least assertive, is the nurturer voice. Now, the nurturer voice is hugely relevant to this discussion because 60% of women are first voice nurturers. Now, wow. they're not all the same, and they mm-hmm. have different second and, and tertiary voices but they 60%, that's, that means that this is the prevailing current within womanhood is the nurturing voice. That means mm-hmm. that that's often the expectation. And the nurturing voice puts the one-to-one relationship first. They are very much a champion of people and values, and they are the things that are most important to them. So they'll often um, put what's right in front of them in the present, first before the very big picture so you know it doesn't matter um how much profit a company are making if they're in the workplace what matters is how are people being treated and the same in the home as well you know what doesn't necessarily matter is where are we going as a family what's what's our vision it's more about actually what's happening today what are what do we need what are the practical things that we need to be aware of to make things work the best for the people who are right here right now so that's the nurture voice the next of the voices as we go up in the, in the volume level is the creative voice and this is a voice that women have and I think women can often feel deeply misunderstood they're often assumed to be nurturers because they have a high place on values But they're actually different to the nurturer. They are future thinkers, very much future thinkers. Think Greta Thunberg, for example. They're seeing things five to 10 years ahead all the time. They see what's coming. They see the dangers and the opportunities long before anyone else. So they can find motherhood really hard because motherhood does encourage us to focus very much on the present development of our children, Whereas the creative is always thinking, where are we going? What's next? Where are we headed? Um, and they can find it quite hard to, to be as present as nurturing voices can, can feel. Um, they also have a high sense of integrity. And they can also struggle sometimes with communication because they build inside their head they're introverts. And what they're building is like is, is these amazing sort of innovative ideas. And as soon as they start to speak about them, they can find communication hard because what they communicate will never feel as perfect as it does, in, as it looks inside their head and others can find it a bit hard to understand. So they can sometimes go about things feeling a bit, a bit lonely because they're not necessarily um, being heard. So with the creative, it's really helpful as a friend is if we think our friend says something that doesn't seem to make any sense, just ask them, can you tell me more? Or, or you know, can you just say that again so I can understand and that's when you'll see the gold in their thinking. So that's the creative voice. Then we have the guardian voice, and the guardian is the champion of systems and processes. They love a spreadsheet. That's what they do for fun. <laughs> when other people are watching Netflix, they'll have their laptop on their desk, on their na- on their lap, and they will be just sort of putting a little spreadsheet together. They're absolutely brilliant. If you've got an event coming up, if you've got a baptism or a party, get your guardian friend to do you a spreadsheet because she loves doing it so ask her to do that even though you might hate it so guardians uh, again most guardians are men um but it's 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 still a lesser proportion of women than nurturers but you'll see the guardian in terms of they will come across sometimes as, as sort of focused on the detail and um, really good with health and safety um, and planning things um, but sometimes they don't necessarily prioritise the sort of the softer skills quite as much as their nurturer their nurture counterparts in the present realm. Next we have connectors. Now you'll all know who the connectors are. They are bouncy tiggers. They love life. They love ideas. They love opportunities. Uh, I think of them as sort of sunny yellow. They um, often just, their favorite thing is is sort of to meet with people and then introduce them to others. So they collect people like other people have like a stamp collection. Their, their most prized possession is people and they love to make sure that um, they expand their networks for the benefit of all their real team players. So if the nurturer is the champion of the one-to-one, the connector is the champion of the room. They are really good at having bringing people together and, and they get bored easily. So they often, whereas the nurturer might might be at a party and, and be chatting to the same person for a couple of hours, the connector will probably be moving around, pollinating ideas and opportunities around the room. And then finally, we have the pioneer voice. Uh, and that is the least representative of all five voices. And it actually only, is only represented by 1% of women have the pioneer voice. And that is the strategic um, ability to move things forward, take ground. You're probably hearing that in in the things that I'm talking about. That's my first voice. And it's that big picture, Um, a bit like the army general in the old movies. How do I align people and resources to get the best possible outcome for the most possible people? So I I used that skill um, when I was doing um, baby groups. I could find them, you know, on their own quite hard to just be present for that long. So I started to think, okay, how can we expand this? How can we invite our friends and neighbours to our church group? Let's let's create something. Let's scale it up um, so that more people can benefit. That's how the pioneer tends to think. So they're the five voices. Oh, it's very interesting.
0: And I've got a uh, well, I've, we've chatted about this before we started, but um, I did it last night, and um, I was a nurse. Connector Guardian, mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and so it's really interesting hearing you talk about um,
1: all those things, and I can see so much of myself in that. It's interesting to hear that combination as well. So even though those five voices, everyone will have a primary voice, and um, their yeah. second and third will be the makeup of what makes you what makes you you in some ways and yeah. what which exactly part of the arm or the leg you are in the kingdom yeah. of God so you being nurture connector means that you have a relational superpower like it's huge you can do the one-to-one but you can also do the big picture relational stuff as well and then that guardian third is is that sort of systems and process bit as well which means you get things done so I think that's yeah. a wonderful combination
0: and I, I do love a spreadsheet I do I do really- <laughs> I remember I, I did a big project at work and um, uh I created a Gantt chart for this project <laughs> and I sent it to one of my colleagues and like honestly the horror on her face whereas I was like, <laughs> this is so exciting. We can decide on all the dates and what we're doing and oh, I loved it. But yeah, I know it's
1: not everyone's good for the <laughs> Clearly, We need people. We need people like that. And yeah. actually guardians, I think, um, get the least recognition for the work they do. Um, They they can often think, do you know what, I don't really, I know this work isn't valued, you know, this sort of critiquing something or trying to put the due diligence in. It's not particularly sexy, it's not particularly exciting, but I really think it's important enough to do it. So it's lovely to recognize actually what guardians bring in terms of keeping things going, making things watertight, making sure things are safe. It's a great, it's a great um, contribution, really good to know
0: good to know my, my most value because I think sometimes guardians can be seen as and I know I work with some quite big picture thinkers and I think they saw some of the guardian type stuff as a bit of a hindrance and they're like we just want to get going and I'd be like, no, but we've got to work out this and this and this and this and, this and make sure this is in place. <laughs> and Absolutely. it's frustrating because you know, both ways. Cause I think I was like, but they they don't see the small stuff. They need to look at that for it to work better. So um yeah, it's all important, isn't it? And it's about working out how to work together, I guess. Absolutely. So how, so how can the this sort of five voices um impact like our motherhood experience? Or how has it impacted your motherhood
1: experience? Mm. Really good. Well, me understanding this early on in being a mum was so helpful because I think I could easily have compared myself to my nurturer friends who just look like pros at being present with their kids. And in, and I think that there was a sense for me of why aren't I completely fulfilled in this role? In my mum, she stopped teaching to have us i think i followed that pattern and and then she did some private tutoring one to one with people so i just totally followed her her lead um and i did the same thing and i it just wasn't hitting the spot i just didn't feel um fulfilled in in that um and that wasn't because i have delusions of grandeur i realize it's not because i think more of myself than i should or because i don't love my kids so just Demythogizing those things was huge for unlocking my sort of um, self-respect, I suppose, for unlocking my sense of being where God wanted me uh, and feeling that actually, actually as a strategic thinker, that's helpful for my group of mum friends. That's helpful for us as a church group and for me and my kids, you know, I'm able to go, okay, what are the things that, where do I want my kids to get to? By the time they're 10, um, I want them to develop skills and character. Okay, how am I going to do that? What are we going to prioritize? Okay, we're going to put them in. For me, it was like beavers and cubs, you know, as well as the church group and, you know, and other things. And not necessarily, even though we're a very sporty family, not playing sport every single day. Um, because we wanted to sort of them to have some other skills as well, so it it, it sort of translates into those sorts of things. It, it becomes a way of saying it's okay to be me, and it's not just okay. It's actually really important for the kingdom. That's who God made me to be. It's not an accident. If I'm if I'm not a thumb or a bit of elbow, part of the elbow, then the church is going to miss out. We're not going to function properly in that place. So I think it, the more we can unlock um people being themselves in the church the more vibrant dynamic genuine and healthy the church is going to be and i think that if we can help mums to do that then we're helping kids to do that we're having a massive impact that's exciting
0: just a thought i had a minute ago can can your different voices conflict with one another and what what i mean is so for instance obviously my, my dominant voice is my nurturer voice but um the guardian side, which like systems and process and order, sometimes com- doesn't allow me to be present with my children, and then I suppose I feel quite guilty because I want to be present with them and I want to be sort of very nurturing, but I'm also wanting to make sure I don't know there's an order to the house and that we're following a process of, you know, doing homework, doing X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. Does mm. that do you find that
1: sometimes mm. with with mothers? Mm, Yeah, definitely. Um, I do think that we have the ability though, to turn up the volume on certain voices and to turn down the volume on others. Um, We have access to all five voices. I'm not saying for a second that we only have one or two or three. We have access to all five, but some voices take more intentionality than others. So it's important to think, what is my default voice? And for some of my time, it wasn't actually my first voice. Some of my default in parenting was my second voice. My second voice is a guardian. So it's interesting that you've said your guardian feels quite prevalent in you in your um, sort of thinking as well. And I wonder if that's because, you know, running a home is being, being an ops person, isn't it? You know, it requires a level of efficiency uh, for it to work. So I wonder if I wonder it. I'm just. This is just a sort of thought. I haven't got any any data on this, but whether the guardian voice is fairly prevalent in motherhood uh, as an expectation. So what we might need to do is find a way again the intervention element to um, turn down the volume on that voice. So I like to picture my first three voices as like bedrooms in the house. So the first voice is the master bedroom. The second voice is the kid's bedroom and the third voice is the box room so if you th- can see yourself moving between rooms that can be really helpful uh like moving gears on a car so thinking about okay what which voice do i need to be in for this task so in, if i'm in my guardian second Bedroom in the kids' bedroom a lot of the time. I'm thinking, oh, this, this, then task, then this, then that. Then actually I might be thinking, do you know what? My kids don't need that for me right now. Um, they need me to be imaginative. Okay, well, I'm gonna use what have I got? Okay, I've got my third voice. That's creative. Why don't I pop in there with them for a bit? So I see, I literally in my mind's eye, walk myself into that box room let's be creative. Let's throw ideas around. What should we do this afternoon? What should we be? Oh, okay. you want to build a dent? Okay. What could it be? You know, and that's, that's not my default, but I can access it. And I can access it in a way that's not as draining as my fourth and fifth voices. So I think be a bit creative with those first three voices and, and work out which voice is needed and be intentional about whether you take on the loudest voice in your head or whether you say actually for now you can just sit down I'm going somewhere else yeah
0: that's that's super helpful really really helpful thank you and and looking at the body of Christ because we've talked about how this can help us work out our place in the body of Christ and step into our place there feels a lot of horrid stuff going on within the church at the moment and like the rest of just society it feels very polemical there feels like there's a bit of a crisis of leadership um and with often people rightly calling out leaders but from a leadership um perspective sorry a leadership coach perspective who happens to be christian how do we deal with calling people out well and criticizing what needs to be criticized well and how can leaders deal with this crisis of leadership better too
1: right okay brilliant Sorry, well just there's, there's a lot, lot there. to spend with <laughs> i love it okay i think one of our our tools is called the support challenge matrix and it's based on the idea that we liberate each other and ourselves when we bring high support along with high challenge whatever that looks like and challenge doesn't always look like criticism it might look like setting expectations it might look like accountability it might look like um support in terms of training But it means that I think what we experience a lot in the church is the protect quadrant of the support challenge matrix, which means a lot of the time we're bringing high support and low challenge. And we think that's what we should do as Christians. And that's sort of a hump in the road that I've definitely had to get over is actually no, um, that's not going to be helpful. That's not helpful for me and that's not helpful for the church. Um, We we do need to get really intentional about about being in the liberate space. That's where God is. That's where Jesus is. He doesn't, yes, he is a rescuer. That's one of the things he is, but that's not the only thing he is. And we can overemphasize that idea that he rescues us and that he protects us. Actually, let's, let's be honest, he lets us go through some really, really difficult stuff. But he promises to be with us in it. He promises that this life isn't the end. That this is there's an eternal perspective, and that there is comfort for all suffering in this life. You'll have many troubles, but take heart. I've overcome them all. I absolutely love that. That calls me to a really risky level of trust. Okay, I can't trust God not to bring difficult things my way. I can't. I can't. be, I don't think He has promised that, but He has promised. Me to ultimately deliver me to the promised land. He has promised me that he will always be with me. And he has promised me that I can live in freedom from sin, forgiveness of sin. So these are huge and many other things. These are huge things for us to walk in. So I think the church, first of all, need to move from protect quadrant to liberate through um not through going to the opposite extreme and giving no support, and loads of challenge. <laughs> But to actually um, cal- calibrating support and challenge right from the start in an intentional way, so that's the first thing. I think that's that. That's an attempt to answer your question about, uh, you know, what 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 does the church need going forward? And the second thing is collaboration. I, you know, I I absolutely am with you. I I've just lamented many falls from grace, both the sake of the leader who's fallen because. They haven't been given the challenge they need to have from accountable people around them. You know, friendship must have broken down there. Um, the idea of having a board or the idea of having people to whom you're accountable has broken down and that's that's wrong. But also for for other voices in the church as well, where there's, there's this sort of one leader, one vision, one person, um, sort of archetype that we have all taken on. I don't see that. In scripture, even amongst the disciples, Jesus is, of course, the one we worship, but he partners with us. You know, he <laughs> that's the, the, the main way God is at work in the world is through his church, is through people. And he has said, I want you to be like a body. I want you to work collaboratively. I don't want you to just go it alone. So I would love to see more of more of that thinking going forward. I'd love to see there be less big names and be more um, collaborative bodies of, of people working together. And that's why I love the five voices. And I see it as such a helpful model for the church. And I, I work, I work within some churches and Christian organizations um, with it um, along with other secular organizations as well. It's, I think it's a gift to secular organizations as well to, to, to transfer that body analogy into all sorts of places where God's kingdom can come. So that's, yeah, I feel hopeful I feel gutted for what's been going on but I also feel like God is giving us the tools to, yeah. to do things differently going forward
0: absolutely and there's so much there that you can uh apply again to motherhood there can't you and um with the sort of high support high challenge you know with the, with the kids you're not there just to well I hope you wouldn't criticize your kids anyway but that you sort of challenge them as you as you say but that you when you do that, that you bring support with that and that you you think about that every time that you engage with them in that way of saying, mm, maybe this wasn't your finest hour, um, but let's see how we can work on that together. Just one last question, just thinking about the church sort of question and you're talking about the high support, high challenge. I'm just thinking about some of the issues that are coming up when you say high support um again is that a body of christ thing because i'm just thinking like you know there's often safeguarding issues that are coming up at the moment that's one of the main things and that's a lot of pressure to put on someone if they've got a challenge and saying this person isn't treating me right they might not be in that place to provide that support as such to the person they're challenging is have you got any thoughts on that or sort of
1: So are you asking whether bringing support is an individual pursuit or whether it should be a collaborative pursuit as well? Yeah, exactly. Great question. I think, yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm going to give that a bit more thought. I think um, support challenge matrix is often applied to an individual in their leadership context, whether that's business or motherhood or in the church, wherever it is, thinking, asking yourself, am I giving this person enough uh, encouragement enough of a, if you like, think of a bean plant, have I given them a cane to grow up? You know, have I given my child um, enough support to know what's, what's expected or to know what behavior I, I'm expecting and to be able to achieve that, you know, am I, am I stretching them, but am I also making sure that they have safe, a safe place they can come to and and be comforted and be encouraged on their journey? But then also, yeah, if you think about it as a church, how can we collaborate together to bring people support? So I've I've got friends who have been absolutely burnt out supporting maybe one or two individuals who have become extremely needy and for good reasons, you know. And and, and actually, wouldn't it be great if we didn't think like that so easily? And, and also what's going on when we do that? I have done that. And why is that? Well, I'm, I'm playing a rescuer role. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I need to be the knight in shining armor that actually this person can rely on. That's the Christian thing to do. Well, well, no, actually, you know, Jesus, you see these things in his, in the way that he lived and moved where, you know, with Lazarus, for example, he waited and he didn't go immediately um, to help Lazarus and to comfort his friends who were absolutely, you know, devastated. He waited and presumably others, well, others were there grieving with the, with Mary and Martha when he got there. So he allowed others to move. And I think sometimes it's that sense of knowing where your boundaries are and encouraging others to do this work together. It's a big work. You know, there's still a lot of people struggling in the post-COVID time. And there will be for, for many years to come. Um, and also just with the normal challenges of life. So how can we do that more collaboratively? Um, what are your ideas? Because you posed the question. Did you have anything in mind?
0: No, I I suppose it's probably the nurture in me, thinking like <laughs> that you'd sort of pose this big sort of I suppose challenge on people that if, if they do want to challenge something that's wrong, they need to provide high support. And I'm like, oh no, is that gonna upset some people? Is that gonna be too much for some people? um so yeah I don't I don't particularly I I do think it is a collaborative collaborative thing because I've been there I've done that thing of trying to support someone who I wasn't really well equipped enough to support properly and like you say sort of burnt out from it and and um and another situation where it wasn't necessarily burnt out but left with burnt fingers as such because that person didn't um yeah take it too well and that was i think immaturity on my part too but um yeah so i don't i don't have any solutions but i do i do think it's about holding each other up and i suppose with the safeguarding perspective that i was thinking of is that that's what safeguarding structures provide, don't they? They provide someone to report to who has the wisdom to be able to challenge a person and know how to support them um, and and deal with that safeguarding concern. So, um, yeah, but, and that's what processes are good for, I suppose, and um, it can be built into all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, really good. So it's just getting out of that mentality of thinking, I have to do everything. I have to yeah. play all the roles here. Yeah. Um, and asking myself, what is my and actually asking God, OK, God, what's my role in this before I jump in? What what part do you want me to play? And trusting him. My friend, my good friend says, you know, you're just a cog in the wheel of God's plan. Uh, yeah. you know, can we trust God to prompt other people to play other roles? And can we create a church that has some expectations and some systems in place that mean that happens, you know, sooner, you know, more often than not?
0: well that's hard isn't it it's that thing of um if you can't do um
1: if you can't rely on someone to do a job properly do it yourself (laughs) and that can often be my own impatience that goes by that mantra definitely absolutely
0: absolutely well thank you so much laura that has been it's been so interesting but it's also just been so practical as well and just for this lovely um line of theology built into it as well so thank you it's, um i've loved that today so if you want to find out a bit more about um laura and what she does um you can look at her website which is salmonswimming.com. Um and she's also shared uh, a link for where you can do a free five voices assessment. I need to put my teeth back in. Um <laughs> so I'll put a link to that on the show notes. Um and also she recommends a book called The Five Voices by Jeremy Kubicek mm-hmm. and Steve Cochran. So again I'll put a link to that um on the show notes. But before you go Laura can I can we pray for you? Mm, yes please. Awesome. Lord we thank you for Laura. And the work she does, and for what she shared with us this morning, we thank you for how she's bringing her wisdom and experiences into workplaces and and just leadership all over the place. We pray for her and her husband James's business that it continues to thrive with people who they work with, and with people being receptive to change and growth, however difficult that feels at times. And we pray for listeners today too who've maybe heard something this episode about identity or culture and want to make a change. Help us to fix our eyes on you whilst doing so, but also help us in the process of becoming more self-aware, to strive to grow for the better into the people you've created us to be and to step into our place in the body of Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you, Becky. Thank you
0: so much. And um, yeah, I hope to see you again.
1: Yeah, I hope so. We'll make (laughs) it happen. (laughs) Take care.
0: You too. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time. Bye.